Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. And I'm John. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. We're going to get into the nitty gritty and examine the good, the bad, the ugly, and the laughable in these movies. But we're always coming from a place of love. You don't watch these movies as much as we have unless you have a genuine affection for them. You're bringing you, already me, you already gave me booze. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? Hey, friend. <laughs> We're back at it again. We are. We can't be stopped. <laughs> I am excited because I this was a movie that had slipped through my cracks. Ooh, kinky. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about uh, a littler known Van Damme offering, Cyborg. Yeah. When he was on the brink of becoming like... The megastar. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting to think about this movie being made in 1989, and he'd already done like Bloodsport and some other stuff, and like he, this was he was on the verge of the breakout, and something like this, I feel like, had it been more commercially embraced, and by that I just mean on people's radar, maybe he wouldn't have been a big star. Do you think? <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah, if they had seen this, they would seen this and like, oh, oh boy, maybe not this guy. Maybe not. Apparently, he he filmed this movie like two months before he went off and filmed Kickboxer, and they came out like two months apart. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Which is It's wild. crazy to yeah. think about Kickboxer being this late, though, like this close to 1990. Yeah. Because both these movies feel like they were made in the early 80s, because... The plots and everything. The and plots then... and just the quality of the filmmaking, because it's canon. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. what... That, that Which we're going to talk about. You maybe. just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... But yeah, but I had not I had not really grown up watching this movie. I was just telling you before we started that um, this was like the one movie I can remember in my lifetime that I was forbidden to watch. That's so funny. I, to I me. was I was sitting at home one day as a whatever I would have been eleven year old or twelve year old mm-hmm. watching TBS, and I think it was on, and it was the scene where he's on the on the crucifix. Right. And that's the only bit of this movie that I remember at all yeah. is that bit. And I think my mom walked in and was like, oh, hell no, you're not watching this. What is this? You're not allowed to watch that movie. <laughs> that's so funny to me. I mean, because I don't know. Last Temptation of Christ was not something that was on, you know, TBS or anything yeah. like that. I don't but, feel like it was even religious. I just feel like it was the everything about it was just so violent and yeah. like gory and, and twisted and. But not all that much more than other things I was watching. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is like I think even, it's just mom wasn't looking over my shoulder even on Even watching it now, I mean, it's violent, but it's not like super bloody. And, you know, there's a reason. We'll, I feel we'll like they get cut into. around a lot yeah, of they, that. Yeah, they did cut around a lot. Or Van Damme cut around a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, make this movie from X to R, please. So, yeah, we're talking about 1989 Cyborg. 
Directed by Albert Pion, Hawaii Zone. Yeah, the, the Hawaiian treat or <laughs> yeah, something. He's spam. His IMDb says that he is, quote, credited with pioneering the cyborg <laughs> subgenre. It is considered to be a maverick and renegade in independent genre cinema, which sounds like he wrote that. I, I took the same exact note. It reminded me of, of uh, Seagal's bio on yeah. IMDb. It's like, oh, what publicist wrote this? But no, in, in Pion's case, I feel like he definitely wrote this himself. Yeah. He, the only other thing on his resume that I recognize was Sword and the Sorcerer from 1982, my <laughs> birth sword, year. A Sword and the Sorcerer, a Sword and Sorcery movie. Yeah, it's not a not an ingenious title. He um, also had directed, I saw after this, he did Kickboxer 2 and Kickboxer 4 were his. Strong. Strong. Yes. Um, I mean, it, weird though. Um, And, you know. Who knows that this is true, but it said that he was attached to, at one point, Total Recall, but Verhoeven obviously ended up directing oh, that. interesting. Okay. I could see this guy directing something like that, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he passed away in November of last year. Oh, shit. Aged 69 years old. I didn't catch Gone that. Gone too soon, yeah. But from Wikipedia, yeah, though his films are frequently blended with kickboxing and hybrid martial arts, uh, science fiction, and dystopic and post-apocalyptic things, which often included cyborgs, Pyun stated that I really have no interest in cyborgs. <laughs> what? And he said, I've never really had any interest in post-apocalyptic stories. It just seems that those situations presented a way for me to make movies with very little money. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah, kudos to him for being adventurous because yeah, this movie was made for nothing. Absolutely. You and I could fund this movie with a bank phone. <laughs> uh, and also written by Pion, right? Yep. He wrote it under the pseudonym Kitty Chalmers. It's fucking weird. <laughs> I feel like that that's, that's an allusion to something. That's a reference to something that I didn't bother looking up, I but mean, it's like a literary it reference or movie reference. Too. Um, but he apparently was did not want his name down as the writer of this thing. Right. He apparently wrote and directed a lot of the stuff that he did, like did okay. Double Duty, um, produced by the legends themselves, Menachem <laughs> Golem and Yoram Globus. <laughs> From oh, Canon Films. I was going through those dudes' lists of credits, and there are hundreds, you know? Yeah. And the only movie that uh, that those dudes, like, personally produced that I was was good was this one, Runaway Train, with, like, um, John Voight and that sounds familiar. Eric Roberts. They're, like, yeah, two yeah, yeah, yeah. inmates who've broken out of prison, and they're on a train that's sort of out of control now. It was actually really, it was really good. That those, was the both one, those dudes got nominated for Oscars I was about to that. say, they were, it was well received critically yeah and and excellent but that was the only i i combed through all 200 titles there might have been of what they produced and that was the only one that i'm like that was a good movie everything yeah. else was like eh, at best <laughs> except for blood sport yeah like cobra and oh, no fuck. but they didn't hands-on produce oh, that's, true. that's true they just Something like else. it just went out under canon's banner that's yeah. right yeah sometimes you got it and other times you just want to <laughs> got it and <laughs> i think so um, music by Kevin Bassinson, his IMDb, he's done tons of stuff from film to TV to video game music editing and the video game shit really comes across in this one. I feel like for good reason, he never did much composing yeah, beside this movie. Well, apparently this was like the second or third soundtrack that it had a soundtrack oh. that got canned. And then this, this guy got pulled in like fucking Tangerine Dream. He's and, that guy. And legend. Yeah. They're okay. like, we need music and we need it fast. And you get what you paid for. Press some keys on that keyboard over there. Dude. I mean, if this movie's budget was less than 500,000, <laughs> this guy probably made $5,000. They were probably like, here's, here's 5,000 bucks. You got one weekend. Probably. Yeah. I guarantee it. 
Um, director of photography was Philip Allen Waters. The only thing that jumped out to me from his CV was that he was the cinematographer for a comedy special I love, Eddie Izzard's Dress to Kill. <laughs> was that the one where he was like in drag, sort of? Well, he's in drag and all of them, but it's, oh. like an, it's like one of the earlier ones when okay. he was like first breaking out. It's like from the early 2000s in like San Francisco. Okay. It's very, very funny. I, I expected this dude to have some good credits because I feel like he was yeah. really going for it in this movie. Like he thought he was making Blade Runner. You I, know what I mean? Like he was, he had some chops and I was like, if nothing else, some of the things are really interestingly lit. You and I are on the same page with this movie. That was like, there's not a lot happening except for some really like ballsy photography choices yes. that look cool. Yeah. Um, the editor was Roxanne Zingale and Jean-Claude Van Damme and Sheldon Ledich had to come in <laughs> try and, to save it with two months to, <laughs> to, to salvage this thing. They do the same shit happen on Bloodsport mm-hmm. where and they were like, where I think the, the Canon guys were like, well, oh, this fucking sucks. That thing sat on the shelf. I want to say for like two years. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then Van Damme was like, we got to me try to re-edit it. Like we, I want to get famous. I can't get famous if you're not putting my movie out. Yeah. And I try re-editing the combat scenes or whatever. I mean, if, if, yeah, I would love to see, there is apparently a director's cut out there that was released in 2014 in Germany that I would really love to get my hands on because it's apparently like all in black and white and has Uh extensive, like, um, like none of Van Damme shit is him talking. It's all VO and. And That's it's wild. much hyper violent. So anyway, that makes a little bit of sense to me, only because some of the scenes, and we'll talk about it pretty soon it, once we get into the movie, where I'm like, was that supposed to be like a corpse or a or a or a statue or something? Because it doesn't look human. But I think if it was in black and white, yeah, you, you wouldn't be able, able to tell. tell that the skin was yellow instead of like flesh colored. Right. Um, but, but we'll get to it quickly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's in this movie, Kevin? Uh, starring our guy, Jean-Claude Van Damme, as Gibson Rickenbacker. Like uh, two, like one guitar and one like... Dude. Um, lots of musical that was references. A lot. I didn't pick up on that until I was reading it, but I was like, yeah. Um, and Rickenbacker's a guitar, Fender. too. Yeah, Fender's a guitar. There's one. There was another character who I don't know his name even made it into my notes here, but the dude who was like guiding Pearl early on was Marshall Strat. Oh, that's funny. Another, like, I wonder then, if Pyun played guitar. Must have. Must have. And then um, apparently Nady Simmons, is that? I think he, they he, pronoun- that up he as pronounces another, it Natty. Is that like, ch- like another instrument or instrument maker? I think that it, her name is supposed to be, but I'm not sure what it, what was the last name. I didn't name? recognize that one. Natty, Natty Simmons? Natty, Natty Simmons? Oh, no. I didn't recognize that one, but I'm like, oh, yeah. This then, are, then Pearl is Pearl Drums. Yeah, I should yeah. have caught on to this earlier, but I did not. Um, but yeah, then we also got Vincent Klen as the aforementioned Fender. Fender Tremolo, which yeah. is an effect. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, uh, you would know him better probably as War Child from Point Break. Fuck yeah. Um, and a real life professional surfer, I just learned. Right. I'm like, okay, that makes sense because he is not, he's not a professional actor. <laughs> he's just professionally cut up, man. Dude, that, he was shredded up. Dude is fucking jacked to the tits what kind of shit was he doing it must have been a, like a lot of fucking i don't know what speed and whatnot what would get you that like just lean being in the gym all the time like, but a lot of like there was recreational drugs it had to be and yeah. steroids probably yeah, probably i mean the dude is just i mean in like not like super big like no. but just like cut to shit he was like lean yeah 
It's it lean muscle. Nuts. He got that lean muscle. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is in this movie? <laughs> Deborah Richter played the aforementioned Natty Simmons. Na- Natty? How are we Natty? saying it? He said, well, Van Damme, Natty? the one time we hear her name in the movie, he says, <laughs> Natty! Natty! <laughs> um, from what I could tell, this is what she's best known for. Yeah, lots of TV credits, but always playing like slutty girl or hot mom or like yeah. shit like that. As she, was, she was pretty sexy. She grew on me as the yeah. movie went along. Yeah, um, We had Dale Haddon playing Pearl Prophet. Mm-hmm. This is also what she's best known for. Uh, Terry Batson playing Mary. Uh-huh. This is what she's best known for. It was for. the first thing or first thing of note she ever did. Really? Yeah. Okay. She had an interesting look. As well. well, see, and I'll tell you that as a 12 or 11 year old kid that when I saw this first, I remember being very, very confused by so much of what was happening, especially because the, the actress that plays or the actor that plays Pearl and the actor that plays Mary, they look very similar. Yes. And that's, that's why at first we're supposed to, there's like this moment of connection between. There's a lot of flashbacks that aren't very, it's not, it's hard to tell it's a flashback. Yeah, but they look, you, they have a very yeah. similar look yeah. facially. And I was just like, uh, as a kid, I was like, I don't. So confused. That Terry Batson was beautiful. Yeah, she was a good looking she lady. She had like a fire Instagram account. She was wearing the little hats and everything like right. that in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, good um, call. And then Haley Peterson played Haley. The only, is, is the only thing she the ever did. The only credit she ever had. She was yeah. good. She was fine. She yeah. was as good as anybody else in the movie. That is also, that's also true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say the movie clearly is like trying to ride the coattails of better movies. I yeah, feel like, like Road Warrior and for Mad sure Max. this dude walked in and sold it as this is Blade Runner meets Mad Max. Yeah, that has to be what he said with like a dose of of whatever RoboCop and yeah. Terminator like cyborg shit was hot. And they're like, they probably literally said, OK, but it's got to have a cyborg in it. <laughs> you know, he's like, fuck. All right. Fine. I want to do this road. It's Road Warrior meets uh, Blade Runner. OK, but you got to put a cyborg in the name of the movie's got to be cyborg. Because we own the rights to the title Cyborg. Apparently, the original m- movie title was Slingers or Slinger or yes. something like that, which would also have been terrible. Yeah, because no one knows what even that is. worse. It's like Blade yeah. Runner, but if you're if the movie is shit, then no one's gonna bother to. People are just gonna say Slinger. I'm gonna what, watch that. What is that? I hardly know her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess let's talk about this movie. Yeah, man. So, so we Fire start off up. with Leo the Lion, the MGM Lion, doing his thing. Right. Next up is the Canon Films animation. Nice. I don't know if we ever talked about it. The Canon logo is kind of cool. Badass, we we must have talked about it. When at it some comes point. together, you just in your head you hear it go clank. Yeah, it's like the arrow going forwards, like FedEx. Um, this has been. Oh, this movie has the distinction of being the very last ever theatrically released Canon movie. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. Everything else is direct to VHS. Everything else was direct to yeah, direct or, to video, or it was maybe released under Canon's banner, but Canon didn't like actually oversee the production. Right. Okay, they might have just distributed or something like this that. This is their death knell, <laughs> and yes, and what a what a shitty way to I go. I know, out. dude. Well, you could tell it was they are. That makes a lot of the movie make more sense when you're like, oh, this was a, a studio on its last it's legs. Literally gasping with the ventilator. What like, can we What can we throw on screen here that won't cost us anything? Uh, heartbreak. You know what this movie is also devoid of? Product placement. Absolutely. It doesn't fit the <laughs> canon mold. That's right. I, dude, I feel like that must have been a, a Stallone thing. Yeah. That's what I was feeling like because Cobra and Over the Top, yeah. nothing but product placement. Right. But I feel like there must have been something in the contract that said Stallone gets to keep product placement money. Probably. Or something, and he's just like, more, more, more. more. Bigger, deeper. <laughs> so... 
while we're seeing the Canon logo, we're getting the first notes of Bassinson score, which you refer yeah. to as ominous and cheap sounding. <laughs> ominous wind chimes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's synthy and 80s sounding, which I like, but it does sound like some like pre-boss music in a video game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, was, it was like it was like 8-bit music, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, screen fades to black. Oh, dude, and we get, man, when that Golden Globus Productions pops on the screen. Like, you know, you're about to, you're in for some shoddy worksmanship. Oh, yeah. Well, everything about the, the credits rolling like the, at the beginning, I was like, this looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. it looks, this is all we could afford was, was like, what's the cheapest font you've got? And it's like it's almost blurry. It's almost illegible. You can't really read it. It's weird. Yeah. Um, so screen face to black and we get a VO. Uh, Amazon says it's from Fender, who is the villain, which Sounds is weird right. to me. Um, yes, anyway, Fender's VO says. First, there was a collapse of civilization, anarchy, genocide, starvation. Then when it seemed things couldn't get any worse, we got the plague, the living death, quickly closing its fist over the entire planet. And then we heard the rumors that the last scientists were working on a cure that would end the plague and restore the world. Restore it? Why? I like the death. I like the misery. I like this one. And he screams so loud it like distorts the sound. And so they have to like kind of pull back. So yeah, his voice gets more and more excited and just ends with him fucking yelling. I thought it was a decent little setup though, as far yeah. as like, establishing what the world is that we're about. Yeah, to it's kind of neat having someone that's like down with it. I feel like if it, if it hadn't been Van Damme in the lead, probably would have let the hero do that voiceover, but his voice oh, is just not fucking this. Can't let him this, read. Like, he'd already done movies before where he kind of, you know, could talk. And then yeah. this, <laughs> this feels like watching an Arnold movie where you've seen him talk Don't before. Let him talk. And then it's like, this is one where it's like, oh shit, he forgot. He forgot everything. <laughs> he, all the English he knows is right out the window. So as the VO finishes, we get this still shot slash painting of New York City and it looks like it's just collapsed and it's ruined and some on-screen text lets us know that this is in the future. That, which, that was a terrible map. Painting. It sucks. It was, and what was that little thing crawling around? And there it was like a, it might have been a rat or a cockroach or something. No, no, there was no, just like some enough. sort of critter moving around. <laughs> Maybe it, it was critters. actually when they were <laughs> when they were filming that there was a roach on, and they're like, "Move the roach!" And they're like, "We can't." Now, how far into the collapse of civilization do you reckon that this movie is taking place? Decades. I would say the same, just from the level of like uh, how many decades. Ruin? I would say, like thinking about like right now, um, The Last of Us is all the rage on HBO, and yeah. for good reason because the shit's awesome. And in that show slash video game 20 years have elapsed and mm -hmm. so i would say that at least 20 or 30 years have probably elapsed i think so too this. because we'll even see in the movie like it seems like maybe eight to ten years earlier was still a hellscape yeah right and even in the flashbacks it's a hellscape so yeah. I, I agree with you i think it's got to be decades because yeah the infrastructure is all crumbled yeah built i mean buildings have been bombed out and gone and bridges are collapsing and and in the water and so, yeah, anyway, we get dropped right into some mayhem. We see this guy burst through a door and out into a street, and it's daylight, and there's shit everywhere, and it looks like the place got bombed out at some point. There's also, and this is something you were just talking about, It to me, it's like a naked woman's been cr crucified. Yeah. But it, it could have been, like, it looks so bad that it could be a dummy, but I think it's supposed to be a body, like a person I think that got so crucified. too, on and, like and second or third viewing. Yeah, At first then, I was like, it looked like one of those, what do you have on the masthead, like of a ship? Yeah. You know, like the yeah. woman flying on the on the mast of a ship or whatever, but... But then there's several of them, if you look in the background, there are other yeah, crucified others. people back there, so... All like fully graphically nude. Yeah. It was weird. Also, yeah. the fact they went like full daylight and sunny... Yeah, it's interesting. It's like a different aesthetic for this 
It's Mad Maxi, right? But it's not like Blade Runner and what you normally pick is like dark and stormy. They couldn't pay for lights. I think they filmed this shit in Arizona or something like they, no, they built. built they filled Cannon the entire had, thing in Wilmington, North Carolina. No, I saw a bunch was in Arizona. Was too. it really? Okay. I think I think you can almost tell. I feel like they must have built their Canon Studios, you know, sound stages or right. whatever, like in in Arizona, probably because it's like good weather all the time. Right. Like we're gonna make our own little Hollywood here in the middle of the fucking. <laughs> oh my god! Desert. Come on, guys. Yeah. Come on. In Arizona. I mean, they do have no state income tax, so facts. There was all this whole thing was like a tax haven, wasn't it? (laughs) So uh, the guy he like whips around and calls to Pearl, who we see is a woman in a red jumpsuit similar to the one that he's looking, which seems to be like a military getup. Yeah. Um, As they run, we see that the guy seems to be favoring a leg. Yeah. He says that he thinks that they've lost Fender and his pirates, and they've got a chance to reach the Bronx Township where they're okay. going to try to hire a slinger. So that's a little bit of like just bam, bam, bam. What's a slinger? Bronx Township. What's that? So while he's talking. All done in ADR, the whole thing. Yeah. Like none of it. You don't even see the characters. They're just running. Yeah, and you're just hearing the, the dialogue. Yeah. Um, while he's talking, we can hear people like hooping and hollering off camera. The guy immediately stops and tells Pearl to keep going while he tries to hold off whoever's chasing him. So I feel like a bunch of like running got cut because he's immediately like, all right, never mind. You just go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, Pearl's like unsure, but the guy repeats that she should go find a slinger to help her and, you know, yells to keep going. He grimaces in pain and looks up to see yet another crucified person up on a light pole. While that dude just sits there languishing, we get a shot of one of the bad guys running up, twirling a metal pole or spear or something. Yeah. And he's wearing, you call him, he, you think he looks a lot like Anthony Kiedis. I was just getting that vibe. It's like a little kind of small, slender dude, but he had that look. He, so, yeah, yeah throughout, I was just hair. like, I was like, in order to delineate these pirates, yeah. I was like, this guy is Anthony Kiedis to yeah. me. Anthony Kiedis, punk guy. He kind of looks, he is the most Mad Max-ish, overtly Mad Max-ish guy in the Because he was wearing like shoulder pads, wasn't shoulder he? Shoulder pads with like trimmed in fur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's very strange. So the soldier pulls a knife, starts to back away. We get some cuts between him drawing the bad guys off and the bad guys themselves. The darker pirate guy, the um, Anthony Kiedis guy, is followed by this buff-ass dude with a killer mullet. Dude, he was all permed, <laughs> permed or crimped or whatever. So the thing, like these guys are like, there's apparently a a grooming regime that's going dude, on. Dude, that features heavily in my in my notes. I'm like, they were not short of time to like get their hair right. I don't have this. time to chase them. I got to crimp my I got hair. My, I got I'm doing a perm right now. Yeah, there's a woman with a crimped perm yeah. wearing what looks like a studded leather bra and She a, was buff as fuck. And she's wearing like this brocade jacket with big shoulder pads. But uh-huh. it's like brocade. And the one the the massive dude reminded me of Brian Bosworth. Do you remember him? Why does that name sound familiar? He was like an NFL like a high NFL draft pick. Then he tried to do action movies also. He did a movie called Stone Cold. It was, I think, shitty, but but he just he looked exactly like this dude. So the, so much that I thought it might have been him. Then I looked it up, and it was just it was not as some like just some random some Greek, some European dude. <laughs> a lot of European guys in this movie. Yeah, a lot of people that you can tell are like barely like they're slipping with their American accent. They sound vaguely foreign. Yeah, which is fine. That's yeah, great. no, it's not an issue. It's just oh, that dude. I sorry, it's in my notes here. His name is Stefan Stephanos. Milt Sakakikis or this something? Is for real Greek. Mi- yeah, Milt Sakakis. Stephanos Milt Sakakis. He's in a lot of Van Damme Milk movies. Milt Sakakis? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Stephanos Milt, Milt Sakakis? Can you read that? I'm not trying to read it. 
Where is it? Oh, Stephanos, Stephanos Miltsakakis. Hey. It sounds like Miltsakakis. But he was in like, <laughs> he was in four or five or six Van Damme flicks. Um, so he's like, like okay, his, he must have been his. Ben Oli Olsen. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'm like, okay. I mean, he had a look. Yeah. You know? He, he's yeah, a big he's a shredded, roided up dude. dude, like pro that pro wrestling obviously, aesthetic. Obviously, obviously roided up. So, yeah, while this is happening, we get a shot of Pearl getting the fuck out. I got to say, it's an effective use of slow-mo to ratchet up tension, but also to eat up precious <laughs> seconds to add to the runtime. Dude. There's a lot of this movie that's slow motion and oh, a yeah. lot of just staring at each other without talking. Oh, we're <laughs> so much staring. So suddenly someone comes busting out of a storefront behind Soldier Guy, and it appears to be a woman in an animal print fur trimmed cape who kicks the knife out of his hands, then backhand punches him. Yeah, she beat the shit out of him. Yeah. They all did. <laughs> yeah. Next, the first pirate, Anthony Kiedis pirate with the staff walks up and has a turn beating up the guy. Then the pirates all seem to have some at least this guy seems to have a cursory knowledge of the martial arts. Oh, dude. Props also to this movie, I will say, for giving out, like, plenty of big female roles. Yeah. I feel like good, there's more yeah, big call. female roles than there are male roles in the yeah. movie. That's a good point. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so then Crimped Perm walks up and just levels the soldier guy. While he's down, we cut to a very cool shot of the whole posse of bad guys rolling up with fire blazing them behind them. They're led by Fender Tremolo, who we mentioned before, who's wearing... The costume Vernon Wells wishes he'd been wearing in yeah, Commando. Dude. <laughs> Apparently that was the chainmail that Blade wore in Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Blade, who was not a He-Man character. But yeah, the movie dude is like 25% people walking in slow motion. Yeah. So this dude Fender has got fucking chainmail and steel greaves on and these big, dark, dirty sunglasses. And he also appears to be wearing some like Elizabethan era jacket. The one with the the fur lined, like well, it's, uh, it's like it's got big puffy. Sl- it looks like if he wasn't wearing the chainmail, you'd think that he was uh, like in madrigal singers or something. <laughs> like he's about to sing some Tudor Tudor hymns or something, <laughs> um, some personal songs. But anyway, I paused so I could see what looks like he's got like a Gatlin gun or some shit. I can't. Re- uh, later on, it's not a Gatlin gun, but it's like it's like a, a several s- barrel. Yeah, rifle. it's like a six barreled rifle. Yeah. Where the slinger Van Dam only Van has, has Gibson has four. Yeah. So he's a very severe looking human being, Fender Absolutely, Tremolo. Like one dude. of the most distinctive looking personages I've ever seen just in anything. The only dude who compares who could have like also probably crushed this is Brian Thompson, the guy who was the night slasher and Cobra. Good call. Had a very yeah. similar look where you're just like he doesn't look like anyone I've ever seen before. No, such a very distinct. It's like the facial structure, the fact that he's as ripped up as he is. It's just there's a lot going on. So Fender steps on the soldier's arm and then orders his gun to get her. Get her. Uh, the soldier begs Fender to let her go to Atlanta because she carries the cure for the plague. Fender says he he wants to own the cure. Then I'd be a god. I want to own it. He <laughs> did have like a surfer voice. Yeah, he's like he's, he can't not speak like a surfer. So, but the misery could be stopped. I love the misery. This world could be changed. I like this world. Go to go to hell. Been there. <laughs> sounds like Keanu. He yeah. sounds like John Wick, actually. Been there. Been there, bro. Yeah. Um, Dog. He's just being difficult at yeah. this point. Like he's just being like a petulant child. <laughs> yeah, totally. I like the misery. <laughs> Maybe I like it. Yeah. So what? So what? So he pulls out a big ass knife that looks like something you'd buy at a gun show or a very specific type of like army navy surplus store <laughs> or like some place where you'd buy some really crystals or, camp, or yeah. a katana sword. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's either very rusty or crusted with blood. I'm gonna go probably just dirty and crusted with blood. But he kneels down, holds the knife to the soldier's throat, 
takes off his sunglasses so he can show him his crazy ass blue eyes, which are clearly contact lenses, but man, they're effective. That's a cool look, man. Yeah. James Earl Jones had the same shit going in uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Like just looked like an otherworldly like species of of being. Yeah, we guess he wanted a closer look of his carnage because then he just like cuts the dude's throat and we don't see it, but we get those like slicey, rippy, squelchy sound effects. Yeah, it was the first instance of like cutting around the violence, I think. Where Which, you're like, I feel like it's weird not to dwell on it. Yeah. But in still. this day and age they'd show then, that shit. Uh, even in the eighties, I feel like, oh no, that was like, yeah, we live for this shit. Yeah. So this seems to unsettle one of the pirates, Haley, because she kind of looks away. A bespectacled Fender stands and holds out the knife. One of his goons offers his <laughs> sleeve so that Fender can wipe it off. That's a shitty arrangement yeah. for that guy. Give me your sleeve. I'm the blood. I'm the bloody sleeve I'm the guy. blood towel. <laughs> so once he sheathes the knife, another goon walks up behind and drapes a fur-trimmed leather overcoat over that, okay, Fender's that's shoulders. That's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, that's like a wild look. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not cold out here probably no it's arizona yeah so, <laughs> standing in for the bronx yeah the, new york so then we fade to flames and more shitty looking credits uh jean-claude gets his name ahead of the title of the film how does that happen he must have had a killer edited agent it. he edited it. oh good point he made those <laughs> he said he said title design by jean-claude I'm van saving this movie for you my name goes before <laughs> the title um, the credits go on for some time with Bassinson's weird score underneath. Why was the title of this movie even Cyborg, though? Like, that's such a a, a non-important aspect of I the entire movie. 100% don't understand. I feel like they just completely. said cyborgs are hot. People like cyborgs right like, oh. now. In, like, in watching it, I was disappointed that I, you know, didn't remember that he wasn't a cyborg. And it's like, there need right? to be more. Or that How is he not the cyborg? I always thought that Fender was a cyborg. But then he rewatching looks like it, I was he's like, not a human. He should be the cyborg. Absolutely. Anyway, we didn't we didn't write order. You could have been like movie. could have been cyborgs that toppled society. Or yeah, we shit. have one one good cyborg, one bad cyborg. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so the action picks back up with Pearl leaning against a wall to take a break from running. The pirates find her instantly, and she sets <laughs> off again. We get a shot of a pirate running out of the shadows in pursuit, but he gets laid out by, by a mysterious high kick. <laughs> who, who could it be? <laughs> out of nowhere. So. It's already the patented Jean-Claude Van Damme shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. The next shot is Pearl running down a dark, narrow alley with two pirates behind her. Cut back to the high kick, and we get our first glimpse of JCVD as Gibson Rickenbacker. Why does he always hold his poses like that after a thing? That's like I his know. thing. Another thing, it's just like he's standing over the dude he knocked out and like menacing him a little. Yeah. Um, his attention is drawn through some bit of shitty editing toward the alley. <laughs> he could never have seen down that alley no. unless no. he was right in the line of sight. Which that he alley wasn't. was so narrow. Yeah. He. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just a, dumb. A, sh- a shitty trick of editing. He somehow knows that something's happening. We see Pearl has reached a dead end. She tries to climb but falls down. Meanwhile, a goon is in hot pursuit. We cut back to Gibson, who's still just staring in the direction of the alley, not moving. <laughs> cut back to Pearl, who's still on the ground and about to be set upon by pirates. Gibson finally moves in the direction of the alley. A goon twirling a knife walks slowly toward Pearl, while another guy with a knife waits at the entrance to this very short, very narrow alley. <laughs> I love all <laughs> like knife twirling sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> like I can remember doing Ninja Turtle like action figures, and that was like the predominant noise that would be coming from. Oh, like, you our, made the noises <laughs> while they're fighting and shit. Anyway, as the twirly knife guy bends down toward Pearl, we get a shot of I guess the other pirate's boots, and then we see another set of feet step in behind him in the frame. And Gibson has sneaked up on that guy and cuts his throat. 
with his own knife, like grabs the dude's yeah, knife yeah, and yeah, cuts his own yeah. throat. And as as quiet as Gibson was being, the murder got the attention of the twirly knife guy who starts to slowly back out the alley to see like what's, what's going, going on. on <laughs> so as as he lunges forward, Gibson grabs his arm, stabs him with his own knife, and then throws him on the ground. Pearl thanks Gibson, who turns to abandon her without a word. <laughs> yeah, they were doing all they could to just keep him from talking any more than necessary. It's nuts. Like, he talked so much, like, in Bloodsport. He was fine in Bloodsport, wasn't he? Yeah. He did just fine. He acquitted himself well. I, and maybe it's just because this thing was shot in less than a month. And, and maybe with other stuff, he had time to, like, get familiar with how the English felt. Maybe, yeah, maybe he know. needed to wor- be working with the dialogue coach and they didn't have that, yeah, that so, type of thing. So she calls out to him for weight and grabs his hand to this weird little musical clue and asks who he is, like that fucking matters. He gives her the stare down and we get another shot of her holding his hand. So yeah, there's like something weird there connection. A- like, And she asks, why you help me? And then we get a close-up of her eye and we see all these like numbers and code and stuff uh-huh. flash in her eye. So the next shot is a POV looking at Gibson as if out of RoboCop vision. Yes. And it zooms in on him and he answers, I thought he was somebody else. What does that mean? And he thought she was someone think, else yeah, or think, he thought the, the attackers I were someone else? He's saying, I thought you were someone else. Because, I thought it was somebody Yeah, else. I thought he was somebody else. This is this and the static <laughs> so noise effect clues us in that it, at least that she is a cyborg. Yeah. Um, whatever scan she's Why done. Why does he, he's being weird, like straight from the jump though. Yeah. <laughs> like he just, I thought it was somebody else. I, uh, I don't okay. know. All right, and whatever the, the fuck that, that the, means. The only thing that I can think of, and, and we talked about this a little bit before, is that this character she resembles she Mary. looks like Mary. And I think that if they had played more on that connection, it would make more sense. And maybe they did in another cut of the movie. Yeah. But they do look remarkably similar, the, the two actresses. I but thought it was either that or he thought this was Fender attacking right. her. And But yeah, anyway. And that's a good point, too. But who, who knows? We don't he, need to dwell. Yeah. We can't dwell on it because nobody knows. It doesn't make sense. So whatever <laughs> scan she's done seems to satisfy her that he's trustworthy because she's like, I can trust you. That shit was weird, dude. It was like something computed in her head. Yeah. And it was de- that information was delivered to her. Yeah. You can trust this man. I can trust you. He, yeah. It's like she ran the numbers. And based on the, the information available, you're trustworthy. And dude, those graphics and shit were like, 10 times shittier than what they had in RoboCop or Terminator movies that came earlier yes, than this. Yes. He pulls Bizarre. his hand away and asks for what she says she needs him to get her back to Atlanta. She explains that the last doctors are ho- the last doctors, Kevin, Yeah, the federal people are holed up <laughs> at the CDC or some damn place, I guess, and that they've right. been working on a cure for the plague, but they need the information that she has. He continues to stare at her, not giving off any kind of, vibe or emotion like his facial expression doesn't change zero emoting and van damme like schwarzenegger can give good face that's what was he getting weird was he getting weird direction yeah i think like just be as deadpan as possible i wonder if pion and this is not out of the realm of possibility was like you need to be traumatized do you know what trauma is and like told him you need to be like almost comatose you're so just like 
in the zone for what you're you're just out for revenge at this point like looking for fender or whatever that nothing else like is just tunnel vision like he can't even relate to another human being because he's so traumatized is the only thing but that's giving everyone a lot of credit i have another another theory i'll throw out there that just came to me it could be Hit the me. bourbon talking hell uh-huh. what if peon had some weird idea that later on in the movie it'll be like revealed that van damme also was a cyborg or it something. that's been. why he doesn't have emotions yeah it should have or been. something because he does very little of what resembles acting in this movie, period. And we've seen him act. Yeah, to, he can, tr- he can, he do can it. put forth an effort, mm-hmm. and he's not putting forth an effort in this movie. He Like, he's so, in, like, Kickboxer and Bloodsport, he's, like, goofy and lovable. In this movie, yeah. it's so, it's dark. And giving us a lot of, wah! <laughs> 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 oh, we, get any, we don't get anything from him. He's yeah. just a boy. Well, we get dude. some of those towards, a little like, bit in places, <laughs> but most of the time, he's just, like, running weird morose and not really doing much martial arting either he's he's grieving still so she swears she's telling him the truth just then we cut to one of the pirates from the earlier posse coming i guess from farther back in the alley he seems to spot them and ducks to hide and watch cut back to pearl and it looks like hours have passed or they're (laughs) in a different place because it's like so much darker i think she doesn't even look like the same person no it had to be because this was going to be an effects shot and we, maybe it was probably against a blue screen or something. Maybe. But it looked terrible. Yeah. It was like, I, that's, it looked like a different person. I think when I was watching it for the first time, I got so confused. So yeah. I was like, well, it's now like, here's this, there's a new character now. It's like her, it's like her hair and makeup have completely changed. It's the same actress, it's but she just looks in, so it different. It went from being outdoors, I think, to being on a soundstage against a green screen yeah. somewhere. So Pearl, in a complete non sequitur, says, I'm a cyborg. <laughs> Wait, 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 what? So Gibson <laughs> continues to stare blankly at her. Yeah. I'm not sure that this hasn't been just one. It's the same shot of Van Damme. Spliced, that happens a few times over in this and movie. over to make it look like he's participating in the conversation. Absolutely, dude. Anyway, he still says nothing. So she turns around and pulls off a wig, which is also part of a screen wipe, because once the wig gets whipped, we're left looking at a visual effects humanoid head that's business in the front, <laughs> computer in the back. <laughs> it's pretty cool looking from that angle, considering from the it, back, like, it was it, cool. It blinks, and you've got the little whirring and tubes and fluid and stuff running down the neck. We cut back to Gibson, who reacts not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. I've seen this. No, I've seen one of these. Uh, she says she was created to retrieve data from a computer system in New York City. Cut to some cool stop motion again of the head and the inner machine workings moving around inside. There's a cut back to the pirate watching them, and we see him cock his weapon, which finally caused Gibson to, like, react to something. What's that? The dude gets a shot off, but Gibson shoves Pearl down, tells her to stay down, and then turns and runs down the alley. <laughs> the, the pirate gets another shot off, which appears to tag Gibson and blasts him through, like, whatever wooden barrier was closing off the back. Either that or you just jumped through it. I think he it. just dove through it, I think. I couldn't tell because it looked like it caught him and he just like got flung backward. I got to um, ask, and maybe this inserts back earlier in, but yeah. how was, is, is her being a cyborg somehow easier than them carrying a disc? <laughs> <laughs> like having an arm, uh, like a, a platoon of soldiers with a disc. No, we, one of them needs to be a cyborg and that's, that's very interesting, man. Maybe I, they don't have they don't have the equipment to write a disc. In the eighties, I don't think they had the concept of a disc could hold this much information. Right. But this is meant to be the future. I'm just like it was just like because that's the her whole purpose of being a cyborg, right? Is because she can hold some vast amount of 
as, data if, that as they need? As if the size of a human body. <laughs> More storage. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. The hard drive. <laughs> uh, that's a good I don't point. Know. That, I just thought of that when I was like, why? But why does she even need to be yeah, why a, does she need to be a, a, a cyborg? thumb drive <laughs> well i will bring this up in the in the closing episode but I, I have a theory about that oh okay i do have a theory about i'm in that. i'm here for it um so yeah that's a teaser yeah well people. i mean i can share it with you no now no no you don't want. do it okay now they now they're roped in for a month <laughs> of uh listening yeah if you guys want to know my theory you got to come back for the last episode <laughs> so anyway gibson gets blasted through whatever this thing is or he jumps through of his own volition anyway uh-huh. When he does it, all this stuff falls falling down. The, the, the plaster was falling down. <laughs> so all this stuff falls on him for some reason. There's some cuts between the pirate and the dusty doorway, but there's no stirring from Gibson. The fake robot Pearl head whips around and sees that Fender and his entire posse have arrived in the, and are blocking the head of the alley. And man, that just doesn't even look like her in the face. That, I think, again, was where I got confused. I'm like, well, now what the fuck is this thing? Because it's not. What the fuck is this shit? It's not. It looks nothing like the actress uh, Dale Haddon. It looks reasonably like a human face, but it is not a close likeness no. of this of the actor. So strange, dude. It's like I mean, again, they probably had a week to put this together, and they're like, oh yeah, and they're probably like, the shit's not dry. We, we got to get it out there. <laughs> it's all paper mache. We got to get it out there. <laughs> it's the best we could do with Play-Doh. So after a moment of standing there posing, Fender finally starts walking toward Pearl. Um, He says, that slinger can't help Pearl now, but that he will take her to Atlanta. Okay. Um, He says that they'll give him the cure, and if they don't, they'll get the horror show, which is not good writing. (laughs) No, no, it's (laughs) terrible. As he says it, he lifts up the soldier guy's head because that guy is dead. That was was, uh, what uh, Marshall Strat. Yeah, Marshall Strat. Yeah. Uh, the fake head tries to register. The fake head looked more like yeah, the like, actor yeah. than the than the Pearl puppet. So Pearl's cyborg head tries to register some emotion with relative success. <laughs> um, it cycles from more like surprise. More so than Van Damme. Yeah, from some, it, definitely, it definitely exhibited more emotional range than Van Damme has so far. <laughs> so it cycles from like surprised to resigned to its fate. Also, there was just no reason that shot even needed to be a puppet. Like... They could put a bald cap That's ex- and shit on the real actress. I was, like, I was like, why not just shoot her face and put a skull cap on her? You could. This has been done before. Yeah, and it would it would take almost no makeup. No, it's got to be cheaper than building that puppet. Oh my! Everyone was on cocaine. <laughs> Everyone was. <laughs> co- I can build this. I can build this. <laughs> I can fix it. I can. I, my dad has an ultimate set of tools. Anyway, <laughs> cut to hours later. It's nighttime. We get a close up of a full moon, and we hear a, a wolf howling. <laughs> yeah, you know. New York and New Jersey, they're famous for those wolves. <laughs> Maybe they got loose from the zoo. I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of. It's like in, uh, in uh, what, 12 Monkeys, where the animals yeah. have gotten loose. Yes. So, yeah, why the wolf effect? Just because there's a moon. Absolutely. And, and Van Dem said, we'll do a wolf here. <laughs> so then we cut to some rubble out of which bursts Gibson's fist, complete with a Van Dam. <laughs> <laughs> it was one... It was bright ass. Yeah. It was a bright ass night down in that yeah. alley, man. Gibson emerges, staggers to his feet, and slowly walks back toward the burning city. He hears how? Pearl- how are they even fires burning? I don't anymore? know. There's Everything a, yeah. should have been burned up that could possibly burn I like don't know. years ago. Yeah, it's a it, unless Fender and them. Where I don't know. There's no fuel in those cars. I don't know. I don't know. There's no. You and I both know. There's no film in this camera. <laughs> so he hears Pearl's voice in his 
in his head saying the thing about her needing him to get her to Atlanta where the doctors are working on a cure. She said that literally two minutes ago of screen time. You remember. <laughs> they it's think a double we, elimination <laughs> tournament. <laughs> they think we'd hardly forgot. Yes. Repeat. Repeat. It's, it's a, a double, double elimination. elimination. That means two falls. <laughs> so he seems to make up his mind to follow after her. And there's a cut from him to some flames and an unknown woman screaming in pain. Which I thought was a flashback. I did too, but it turns out that that is a flash forward to where Fender and his gang are, and they've raided a village. There's some gory-ass shit going on there. I mean, like bodies chopped to pieces They're burning shit down, cutting heads off, disemboweling people, I guess, for food. There was like a pile of arms and legs and stuff. Yeah. Interesting shot of all the old photos, books, and a wedding cake topper burning. <laughs> For some no, reason. I guess it was like uh, an allusion to the fact that there's no more normal world. I was Kevin. like, also, what do we got left in that prop closet? <laughs> the old world is gone. What can we burn? There's one last dude with a knife who's trying to be honorable and protect some women. Fender asked that guy, I guess, <laughs> if he thinks that he, Fender, is going to swim all the way to Atlanta. The guy lunges for him, and again, all VO. We don't see his mouth moving. This is stuff that got put in later. Uh-huh. The guy lunges for him with a knife, but Fender catches his arm, breaks it across his knee, then smacks the dude around and calls him an asshole. You think I'm going to swim to Atlanta, asshole? He I pre- can't swim. <laughs> which, I hate the water. Which I really wanted that like that should have come up like later what? in the movie when he was like in water. Like he should have, it's so he should have so tried to drown him later on. That should have been t- the, the climax of the movie should have been him like thrashing around. I can't like, swim. Uh, like little John. Yes, exactly. Right the the I can't bloody swim. He's telling on himself though right now. Yeah. It's like no one. You don't have to. I wish to volunteer that line, that information. I wish that line had paid off because why even add it? I know is not the. It's not the last time that Fender's like deep insecurities are going to come to the surface. Either. It's he just is broken. A, it's such a weird thing to just He's say. A broken human being. So yeah, he. Grabbed, oh, he was also dude. He walked around with like a head on a stick that they cut yeah. around. They were cutting around it as well. And I'm just like, this is. They it's were going dark. out of their way not to show some stuff here. Yeah. And there was plenty to show. And apparently that this scene in its full and uncut version was one of the big reasons why the film got an X-ray oh, yeah? originally. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Fender grabs one of the women that the guy was protecting, lets out this crazy inhuman screen and scream and cuts her throat while Off the guy screen watches. again. Yeah. yeah. And then. Yeah. Then, then he takes some kind of pole and I guess impales that dude through the head. You couldn't tell what was happening, yeah. but it seemed like they were going to like ram it down the dude's yeah. mouth or something. Uh, and like, yeah. Out the back of his throat. Um, we don't see that, though, because we cut to an extreme close up of the, <laughs> the wedding cake <laughs> topper melting. And that shot is like a full 10, 12 <laughs> seconds. It was just an odd choice, an odd editing choice, odd production design choice. Um, next, we see the bad guys on a dock where some type of vessel is moored. Severed heads and decapitated bodies are hanging everywhere. Pearl is also there waiting for the pirates to load up. We hear Fender VO that doesn't match up with anything saying, Hoy Sanker, mates! We got a skin job to take to Atlanta! I feel like he was trying to do a British accent, but it wasn't. I And skin job, just direct ripoff from Blade Runner. Yeah. I'm like, oh, dude, this is like, yeah, one of the film's would-be influences, but that's... That's plagiarism. That's plagiarism. Yes. You're that's now that's from a Phil K. Dick plagiarism. Yeah. We call them Blade Runner. <laughs> just a, what the fuck? Wait, we're what? Gonna, we're gonna run a test on you. Wait, what? <laughs> so, cut to the boat cruising through the water at night. Um, then we go back to the destroyed village. We see Gibson's arrived and is surveying the carnage while he's transfixed. Transfixed. Oh, dude, there were long fire. cutaways of the buildings burning in broad daylight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no one knows. It was an editing choice, man. I, that's why I, I usually don't call out the editors, but these editors needed to be called out because there's just so much shit. I really do do feel like it's like it's not the editor's to- fault. They, I don't think. Yeah, they I don't probably think they didn't worked with what they had for months trying to get this to, for two months actually to get this thing Assemble put together it into in a something way something that makes sense. Yeah, like and it and it still doesn't, but it's like doing the best you can with the pile of shit you've got so anyway yeah <laughs> gibson's like staring at the the fire and we see a figure creeping in the shadows and the figure seems to like lift up a weapon but uh-huh. gibson somehow senses this which again would have been cool if he was a cyborg but he whirls around and flings what looks and sounds like a knife at the person uh-huh. and it knocks him down he runs over with a he's got a fucking sword <laughs> yes he's got a katana a big katana. It's like a wide blade katana. And he finds a potential love interest lying unconscious on the ground. <laughs> yeah, well, that we think it was a knife. It just was fortunate that it hit her with the handle. I guess. Um, or is he that Because good? it just looked and sounded like, like, what else would he throw at somebody? <laughs> How would he know that that's not a bad guy? Why would Absolutely. he only want to knock him out? This is not somebody that just knocks people out. He, he kills everyone. Carry, I don't think he carries a double, like a my dull weapon to fling it right at unknowns unless he smelled her perfume <laughs> mm. i don't know anyway he smelt her musk <laughs> sometime later we see he's taken the woman and made camp somewheres he takes yeah. a break from staring at her <laughs> to sharpen his knife and i guess that's why he's sharpening the knife because it was too dull to stab her and it <laughs> yeah. just ended up knocking her out well, so, all of this is not not creepy yeah Gibson. So, i'm gonna just stare at you I, and sharpen they, my knife they, thank goodness he's got that little water dropper to wet his whetstone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he's like follows the rules. But now, I've, how was the knife sharpening te- technique? Was I've it? never seen anyone sharpen a knife like that. Okay. You, you want to like run the blade across, not just like slowly, like yeah. not, you got to put pressure on it. You got to, and like, you can either go section of the blade, like from end down toward hilt one section at a time, or you can go the whole length, like, but you got to go the whole length of the knife down thing. And you got to put yeah. pressure on it. Not, <laughs> not like, like, like gently rub a lotioned hand across yeah. another hand. It's like it was all sensual, wasn't it's it? It's not all of the knife sharpening in this movie is sexual. Yeah. All of it. All of it is foul. I like just the idea that he's thinking, oh, this is gonna put her at ease when she wakes up. <laughs> she looks over and I'm just here sharpening my knife. Gently, but gently sharpening <laughs> gently, my knife. Yes. So it's also worth pointing out that the unconscious girl's wearing a cross. Lots so much oh, religious I didn't catch that. Imri- uh, religious oh, imagery. No, I in did. This movie. It was like it was like blatantly yeah, hanging framed out. and positioned to see yes. so many crosses so then we cut to the first of this movie's m- many many flashbacks mm-hmm. there's a long-haired gibson watching a woman and two younger children mourning at a grave that was a terrible fucking wig it's really bad um there's a cross a pic of the virgin mary and a jack-in-the-box <laughs> on the grave yeah of course you know uh the kids are approximately um eight the boy and 12, the girl. Yeah. Do you read that? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, yeah. And the woman who really doesn't seem like she's much older than 18 to me, tell, <laughs> tells the kids to say goodbye to your daddy. So we say goodbye to Paul so we can be on our way. <laughs> Terrible accent. Uh, Gibson tells them to get a move on because he's losing money. <laughs> yeah, time is money, kids. <laughs> the woman, Mary, who's wearing now like a bonnet or some weird hat. She like sh- shoves some shit at him and it just looks like a lot of like aluminum canned food. Yeah. yeah. Was that payment? I, I think guess? so. It's like a down payment. Okay. Um, she says she doesn't know if she trusts him or that there's any difference between the slingers and the pirates who murdered her Paul. Pirates that murdered my Paul. She got like progressively more Southern as the sentence went along. Um, yeah. 
I will. It say, was that know, chick. It reminded me of the chick from Teen Wolf. I don't know if you remember when they yeah, were in the yeah, school I play. I do declare, like whatever she was saying. <laughs> please, oh please, don't burn my plantation. Uh, who says paw? Paw. Did people the in the eighties that murdered my paw? Yes, uh, it was. It was like some little house on the prairie. Yeah, exactly. Shit. It's supposed to be the future. Anyway, if you're if you can believe it, he doesn't respond to any of this. He just <laughs> stares at her. She says they ain't got no choice but to trust him since he's the only one who answered their posting. Suddenly she breaks down and begs him to get them safely out of the city. He looks away and says, It's what I do. <laughs> get people out of the city. Uh, oh, okay. Thank God. That's exactly what I just asked you and paid you to do. So then he walks off and tells her, let's go. So sometime later on down the road. But not do, that long. Do we I think like it's, it's the same day? day? I feel like it's pretty quick for the kids to be having their heads and in his lap. And the two young children are sleeping with their heads in his lap and he's like caressing them. <laughs> Mary, who looks in this, this was the first, I was like, oh shit, she looks just like Pearl. Uh-huh. Watches and thirstily says, you're good with them. <laughs> and he says, I like them. It's so the sparks are flying. I guess. <laughs> in a, she, in she's the like, creepiest I want to make way. a couple of my own. <laughs> so we cut again to somewhere in the group's travels. He's led Mary and the kids to a rundown farmhouse. Mm-hmm. The house is a wreck, but Mary says it's beautiful. Yeah. Gibson says inexplicably, we'll be safe here. Yeah, maybe Why not. the fuck is he the only one carrying anything? You yeah, know, they didn't have much stuff. I said, from a post-apocalyptic survival standpoint, everyone should be schlepping something. And he should be able, he of all people should be able to quickly get to a weapon yeah. instead of being the beast of burden. <laughs> anyway, jump cut to the younger girl screaming in pain. We see she's holding onto a length of barbed wire that's like ripping through her hands, which is yeah, dude, fucking, fucking, yeah. Oof. And Mary is holding the little boy and they seem to be wrapped in barbed wire. Then we get a close up of Fender's crazy face and that seems to snap him out of the flashback. Gets uh-huh. So he stops sharpening his knife and the girl finally stirs. Gibson sheaths his knife and then they look at each other. <laughs> while yeah. he's while he's Just a long stare down. Yeah, while girls he's, like that, you know, when you knock them out and then they wake up later to the image of you sharpening a huge knife. Oh yeah. <laughs> a real man. So while he's he starts packing up his stuff, she reaches from under the blanket and surreptitiously grabs what looks like a jagged shiv like piece of yeah, what metal the fuck or was that even supposed like, to be i don't know like it looked like a piece of rebar that had been like melted down or something okay um but she grabs it and tries to hide it under the blanket gibson reaches over and pulls the blanket back but makes no effort to take the weapon from her trying to build trust here i guess right and while he continues to pack his things she asks um are you looking for that woman this makes him pause what he's doing and she says that she overheard the pirate saying the woman has the cure for the plague and that they're headed for atlanta Gibson mutters, Atlanta. Atlanta. And walks outside. <laughs> literally, he literally <laughs> just what? repeats the word. No intention behind it. Atlanta. Just says yeah, the dude, word. Yeah, dude, he is not bringing a lot to the table in this movie. Like, imagine trying to do scenes with him. I can't. I cannot. Atlanta. And it sucks because he's been so charming in other things that, like, watching this is like. Did, he's got that in him. I, I want to know, much like was Deckard a replicant. Yeah. Was was Gibson and a cyborg? The dude, dude Pion or Pion could have had big ideas of what you know, high, high, whatever, like lofty, heady ideas yeah, like of what he could piece. do with this. It'd be a reveal in the sequel, yeah, you know, or something <laughs> like that. But that winds us down. I guess this is a good time to to mention that's Natty. 
Yes, Natty. Her name is not said once in the movie until the final moments when it's just screamed. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that's Natty. So we'll, we'll call her my name from now on. Is just seeing the, that chick that he picked up with the big hair. So yeah, exactly. Her hair is amazing. Yeah, a lot um, of volume there. But man, yeah. So that's the beginning of this movie. We've we've got the the foundation has been laid for a for a plot such as it is, <laughs> such as it is. We got to get that cure. Building. We got to get that cure. Um, in your own in your very own ATL. Yeah, absolutely. I like I that to, part I love of it. To see ATL getting a shout out. But um, hold on to your hats because this movie is about to get fucking wild and <laughs> as little sense as it's made so far it's about to be even worse but we'll get into that next time right. we'll be back 